Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Like, it's a full on dance party in Paris. And believe me, I've seen them a bunch of times, and every time they play this song, everybody goes nuts. Like the clapping starts, everybody's super into it. And at the end of the YouTube video, when Tom York gets up from the piano, he's just looking out at the crowd and the crowd's going nuts and all the loopings going on behind him. And he cracks like the super rarest Tom York smile. And he's like, oh, oh, this, this might be okay. Look, look at this. Look at my life. And that, that moment for me Yay. just like warms the cockles of my heart. They didn't break up. They didn't quit. They created art that they loved and enjoyed. Jeff, hit us. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. Welcome uh, to the 21st century. Goodness, here. It's good to be here, huh? Wow, I can't believe the uh, the flying cars and the robots getting us stuff and everything. Yeah. Um, it's so exciting to be here <laughs> in the land of the Jetsons. I really love the sound of the motor on the Jetsons. Are so you guys good. with me? Oh, the, like, yeah. I just thought, I find it so like soothing and appealing so anyways i am uh i am so excited to be with you uh tonight uh because i taught my first winterum course last night now jeff simons you asked winterum winterum you know how uh middlebury would have a j term or some schools have some sort of january term uh something in between uh your first semester and your second semester whereby your school explores different topics well, guess what my winter course is, gentlemen? Let's hear 50 it. years of music with 50, one 50-year-old white dude. Well, it was close. Um, is Bob Dylan for more than just 50-year-old white dudes? And we are oh! listening to nice. uh, seven Dylan albums, and it's going to end with a series of podcasts that these high school students will put together as they lay claim uh, to what they think is the greatest Bob Dylan album ever. Uh, Very nice. What'd right. you choose? Give us the seven, just a brisk overview. Um, so last night was freewheeling Bob Dylan. Tomorrow night is going to be um, bringing it all back home. Um, then we're going to have your, uh, your, uh, your blood on the tracks. Uh, uh, desire. Um, blonde on blonde. Did you skip Highway 61? I skipped Highway, highway 61, yeah. No, How that's is that possible? Well. You no, skipped no. Highway 61. No, He's going to choose seven, man. Give him I a break. I didn't skip it on the course. I skipped it uh, right oh. now in our conversation is what I'm saying. Okay. Um, all right, but bringing it all back home. Favorite song. Can, can you claim, oh, this is my favorite song from bringing it all back home. Uh, I don't know if I could choose among the four songs on side two, the Tambourine Man Gates of Eden, It's All Right, Ma, and Baby Blue. They're all pretty amazing. It's but All Right, those, Ma. Yeah, all right, Ma. that's probably mine, too, yeah. Pretty great. 
Or Love Might of Zero on some days. Ooh, I forgot Love Might of Zero is on that one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's heat right there. I love yeah. that. So one. I've got a, maybe I'll have you guys pop into our class uh, podcast. I mean, uh, our Zoom meeting, just so uh, your enthusiasm may, I don't know, infuse the young people. What is the, what is the point of access for a 17-year-old into bringing it all back home? Is it Maggie's farm? I don't know. Love minus zero is a good one. Beautiful. That's such a beautiful song. It's a love song. I mean, they, yeah. those kids are into love. It's like, that's why they do Romeo and Juliet first. Like, kids like love. Oh, that's so optimistic of you. And then um, they learn better. <laughs> well, that was... Uh, that was a great segue into because uh, it was such a beautiful sentiment. Let's go, Jeff Simons, into our Grammy winner. It's the Grammy winner. Beautiful Day by U2. No way, really? Isn't that crazy? Yep. This is another rock song, and this is yep. a legit That's... rock song. And, and a legit good song as well. Yeah, totally. I always like this one. The heart is a blue. Up through the stony ground There's no room No space to rent in this town You're out of luck And the reason that you had to care The traffic is stuck And you're not moving anywhere You thought you'd found a friend Take you out of this place Someone you could lend a hand In return for grace It's a beautiful day Sky falls, you feel like It's a beautiful day Awesome. So you both like that song? Oh, I love Beautiful Day. That's a great one. Dude, I have a super vivid memory of this record. So it comes out in 99 and I'm teaching at Arizona state university and I'm a visiting clinical professor of law, which is like interchangeable with janitor. Like I'm like, like I'm no (laughs) tenure. I'm with completely nothing at that place. And so they assign me and um, this is a bless his heart situation, but they assign me to this senior professor and we're teaching together and he's very into team teaching. And so he's like, we meet in a bullpen don't go to your office, just hang out in the bullpen with me. And I was like, that's fine. I'm a team player. Let's do this thing. So we're in the bullpen. Oh boy. He brings in a boom box. Yes. And he's like, I like to listen to music while I work. And I was like, I also like music. <laughs> and he was like, I well, find it comes. He's like, I find it calms me down and helps the students to relate with me. And I was like, I also find this. Yes. He was like, and I've got the three disc box set of the Ramones and that's what we listened to at work. Oh my God. We listened to the, like, and it was definite. (laughs) It was so loud in here and I'd have students in and I'm like, I'm like a young person trying to, to, to actually like, we're we're prepping for actual trials with real clients while the Ramones are like, (laughs) as loud as hell in our ears. And so, I was like, could you turn it down? He's like, no, no, that's all part of the process, man. You've got to like groove with this. 
the day this record came out, this U2 record came out, I bought it, I brought it in, and I was like, look, I've got a new friend. Like, okay. we can listen to this instead. And it was like completely transformed it. As you oh, can good. imagine, I'm not saying it's super good to listen to Beautiful Day at top volume while you try and teach, but it's way better than I want to be sedated at top volume. And also, <laughs> like, the Ramones box set, there's like 32 songs that right. are two minutes long and sound just like oh I want to be sedated. Yeah. Yeah. It way goes worse. on and on. Yeah. Wow. So that, that was is your, hilarious. That was Tucson. Was that U of A or Arizona State? Arizona or, State. Yeah, totally Arizona. in Tempe. Wow. Good times. I uh, I actually had a poetry fellowship in Ireland in the year 2000. I was on a small island off of uh, the west coast of Ireland called Inishmore, and my little sister, who was studying in Galway at UCG, she and I did a little road trip to Dublin to see you two receive the key to the city in the year 2000. Um, and then they accepted the key and then they performed uh, in this little park in Dublin. It was a great, great time. Fun fact, guess who also received the key to the city of du Dublin in the year 2000? In absentia. I would guess your sister, but you said no, it. No, my sister did not. <laughs> it was Aung San Suu Kyi, the uh, Burmese resistance leader, who would later on become, um, you know, a fan of genocide. Wow. Kind of. Dub Dublin. I don't know about Jeff. Yeah. That would have taken me a minute. Dub we might have been here a while before I came up with that name. D Dublin went ahead and, uh, and took the key back uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. You huh. too still has their key, but you know. <laughs> all right. Moving on the year 2000. What else is happening? Oh, all right. Bad news department. The USS Cole, you remember, is attacked in uh, while in yeah. port in Yemen. Uh, 17 sailors died in that suicide bombing by Al-Qaeda. Um, the dot-com bubble burst that put a lot of people in some in a bad way out by you, right, Jeff? Do you remember? Oh, man, I, I remember there was this whole two or three years, 97 and 99, where I had all these former students calling to take me out to dinner. They were, like, driving new cars, and they right. had all these great new jobs, and well, you were, were going to parties with Elvis Costello playing in the well, cafeteria. Kind of stuff, right? They'd be know? like, hey, you got to come into the city. And, you know, exactly. All that kind yeah. of stuff. And then, like, you know, there were web vans everywhere. Remember web van, the little grocery yep. delivery service? Yep. And, um, and then 2001, they were all calling me to ask if I would take them out to coffee and help them <laughs> find a new job. I mean, it was really amazing. Like, there were, like, uh, half a dozen boom to bust at 25 Story. And that was hard for them, man. I mean, like, oh, sure. It's hard to go back to your parents' basement after you've had a really nice one bedroom apartment, you know, with a car. With the, with yeah, the fancy yeah, the, car. But the yeah, list. I remember that vividly. I remember that, that sudden jolt to, my, to the local economy here pretty vividly. And, you know, teachers, no big, no big ups, no big downs. You just kind of like turtle through it. When everybody else had all this money, I'm like, do, do, I don't do, have any do, money. Do, and then everybody do, lost other money. I'm like, I still have a little money. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, um, Tiger Woods becomes our, our youngest golfer ever to win the career Grand Slam. I think out in California, he wins the U.S. Open by something crazy, like 15 shots or 19 shots. Uh, so big year for Tiger. 
Oh, sad year. Charles Schultz dies. And yeah. It's yeah. Comic strip ends with him. You know, he's um, from he's from Petaluma, just twenty miles he? north of here. There's a Charles Schultz Museum and there's Charles Schultz Regional Airport for Santa Rosa, yeah. All right, back and forth. Name Peanuts characters, and whoever uh, lets five seconds go by without naming someone is the loser. Uh, ben, you go first. Linus. Jeff. Oh, you're not. You're just moderating. Lucy. Ben. Charlie Brown. Jeff. Uh, Pigpen. Snoopy. Ben. Franklin. Jeff. Woods. First of all, Franklin. That's too tough. That's a deep cut. I don't even know if we can accept I mean, Franklin. That's a 1969 Franklin. edition. That's an amazing story. But the he, Franklin call dude. is tough. That's tough. He says Snoopy. You say Woodstock, and you hang on to Franklin. He uh, just said. He just said Woodstock. Uh, you you misplayed it. All right, Woodstock. Back to you, Jeff. Schroeder. Oh, I've forgotten who you said. You say Marcy? No, no. we did not say Marcy. Uh, peppermint patty oh see that sucks now you're just stealing from me <laughs> you didn't think i was gonna go across town <laughs> you right. already got lucy he said listeria that's fine i've said so you're done you're done jeff any more in your noggin i was trying to come up with one for the steal but um oh no. spike oh spike <laughs> yes. i should have come up with spike I forgot. I don't. I and the Red Baron, Spike. which is not technically. Well, well yeah. I think you have to appear. The little red-haired girl, Miss Othmar, but they never appear. Oh wait, the yeah. teacher has a name. Miss Othmar. Huh. Never knew that. So here's what I'll say. The basically, he even the Franklin stuff. Like the poor guy, he put out thirty years of really poor output. Yeah. Um, and it was sort of like just beating a dead horse, and it wasn't really his fault. Um, that being said, I'm sorry. Why wasn't it? Why wasn't it his fault? Because the, he built this entire industry around himself and there's a lot of pressure on him to keep doing it. And also he was yeah. like a World War II guy. Like he was not, he was like, oh, if I'm sent on the front, I just have to keep doing it. He was like, uh, there's the whole, like there's a whole internal comic strip argument between Bill Watterson, the Calvin and Hobbes guy right. and the Doonesbury guy and the Bloom County guy. And they're all the poster boys, or I guess they're all boys, but they're the poster boys for lacy cartoonists. Um, and they hold Schultz up as an example, let alone like the guy who did Beetle Bailey, who yeah. right, just like, they oh, yeah. keep grinding it out every the family day. family circus, or the Wizard of Id might be my current. No, no, like, dude, how? Beetle Bailey is the worst of all of yeah. them. It takes place on a freaking military base, and it Wait. doesn't change when there's war. During yeah. the Iraq War, they were like, Beetle's so lazy. And I'm like, Beetle's like in Iraq. Can't we change this? But yeah, so the first ones. Well, Andy Cap is going to the pub every night. I know, too, so. but that one's better because you can actually yeah. picture that doesn't actually change. The army actually changes. That's what gets <laughs> yeah, me. That's a good point. Like Hagar the Horrible, I'm like I don't know enough about Viking life <laughs> to know whether it changes or not. I do know what an army base is like yeah. during war, and it doesn't look like this. Oh my! But the God. first ten years of the Schultz stuff are amazing. 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 At least. That's too strong to say they're as good as Calvin and Hobbes, but because of the time, they're almost better grading on a curve. Like, oh, the idea of, of how existential totally Brown, existential cry the 50s when everybody was just white picket fence and don't talk mm, about the war. Right. It's incredible. Yeah, it's amazing and it's beautiful, dude. So, and uh, less so Dahlia, but Georgia's super into cartoons, and I got her all of those. You can get the full bound yeah. versions of each year, and they're they beautiful. are 
bangers. Just yep. amazing. Well, um, I, and then the Franklin thing is a crazy story. Like yep. this is uh, in integration. Uh-huh. And he's getting, he gets a letter from somebody who's like, I don't know why there aren't any uh, black characters. And they, you know, they didn't say African-American. Then they were like, why aren't there any black characters on Peanuts? And he was like, well, that's just the neighborhood they live in. And she was like, why, why is that the neighborhood they live in? Yeah. And he was like, F it. So he put a little African-American kid, Franklin, in class with everybody else. And a bunch of Southern papers were like, what the hell are you doing? And he was like, uh, and, yeah. and they were like, don't write another wow. strip. And he was like, I'm not writing another strip. Drop it. Never run another Peanuts in Montgomery, Alabama, if you don't want to run that strip. F you. Like, yep. so strong. Yeah. So strong. Yeah. I can't believe so this was my um, invitation to cynicism question, and you guys have uplifted me. Uh, and I, I, I see uh -oh. your hearts, your optimistic hearts at work uh, through Ch Charles Schultz. This is oh, I have no cynicism for that guy. I read his biography. Yeah. Like, I love Charles Schultz. Yeah, me too. Even, although I will say the jump the shark peanuts moment, the moment when I was reading, cause I was, you know, I was, we were, he was still making them when we were kids yeah. and I got a collection for Christmas of like recent strips and every Sunday strip was about Snoopy jogging and parts of his body <laughs> talking to him about how much they didn't like to jog. And what? the eighth, the eighth one of those, what? I was like, and we're done. It's like, try being an elbow, elbow. You should try being a knee, knee. You should try being a foot. That was the whole strip. Just like Snoopy's body yelling at him as he ran around. <laughs> That's gold. So it's the number one hit. Independent Women, Part One, by Destiny's Child. Question, tell me what you think about me. I buy my own diamonds and I buy my own rings. Only ring your celly when I'm feeling lonely. When it's all over, please get up and leave. Question, tell me how you feel about this. Try to control me, boy, you get dismissed. Pay my own condo and I pay my own bills. Always 50 50 in relationships. The shoes on my feet, I buy. The clothes I'm wearing, I Destiny's Child, huh? Yeah, it watch the Destiny's lead singer Child. of that group. I think, I think she's something special. Yeah, she's got she got a future. That one. It's That's funny, a banger. I, never, I like that one. That's a good one. I kind of like it too. It was the Charlie's Angels soundtrack single. Oh, was that right? Oh. Yeah, the Lucy Liu reboot. Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz. Oh, I remember it well. <laughs> John August. I'll just wrote leave that. it at yeah. that. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, uh, Ben Barton, you are the uh, lawyer in the room. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Electricast. Yeah. Tell me about Bush v. Gore. 
and um, just break that down for our audience in, in a couple sentences. Go ahead. Uh, basically, it came down to Florida, and it was a really uh, legit squeaker, like 534 votes right. uh, were between Bush and Gore. And they did a full recount, and they had all these goofy different hanging chads and weird voting machines and handwritten things, and they couldn't decide on anything. And the Supreme Court stepped in and basically just made the call. Like, uh, Bush we're wins, done. and that we're was done. It. No more counting. Yeah, which uh, the, 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 the actual opinion, and I'll like cut this if this is boring. The actual opinion <laughs> is a little bit weird because they're like, it's not precedent. Never cite to this again. This is a one-time only thing. That's oh, super bad. That's not a good look, especially for they a common law They say form. that. Yeah, with, they say that with their outside voices. Yeah. That being said, having lived through this current version of it, it's a little bit more defensible. Um, because five, I mean, you know, we weren't going to come up with a good answer to what happened to those 500 votes. Now that you see it now, you're like, oh, that, you know, there was no, there wasn't a version of that where it worked out great. And everyone was like, well, I can, I can agree on that. I mean, dude, like, yeah, under the current circumstances, the guy who's behind is behind by 10,000, 70,000, 170,000 votes. (laughs) And people are like, well, that doesn't work. And you're like, really? (laughs) So the 500 vote thing was not going to, gonna work out well yeah gore had asked for a recount in four specific counties uh and they couldn't get it done in time by the deadline so he sued to extend the counting and the uh supreme court said no let's just stop counting but it was kind of like a recount of a recount you know what i mean they'd already really tried hard those counties it wasn't like the first time they'd looked at those ballots like they tried really hard they really did. That was just, I mean, it was just a terrible lesson on uh, a country that was too big for an antiquated system. You yeah. know, I mean, they just had too many right. different kinds of things going all at once. And, but we learned our lesson and it never happened again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good stuff. The uh, Pyrenean Ibex in the Pyrenees mountains uh, went extinct. It's kind of like the, um, the, the deer, but with the pointed antlers, uh, very sharp antlers. Who can um, remember? <laughs> we had one left on Earth. One left. Guess how she died? Did she, become a, did she become a steak sandwich for an <laughs> endangered species eater? A tree fell on her. Isn't that the way we all go, Tim? Yeah, and- just... Did anybody hear it? Your own business. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, keep teaming me up, Tim. I got Ibex jokes for days. Apparently. And also, by the way, aren't there some Olympics or something? You have to give us the Ibex? Oh, like, Jeff is here, just waiting. Here we go. Here we oh, go. See, I knew this it. Is, this is a very special category, Ben Barton, where you get to gamble. The Australian Olympics in 2000 uh, feature the, the United States winning the most golds and, and Russia coming in second. But I'm particularly interested <laughs> – in the volleyball because uh, you know i've been coaching volleyball for uh, 25 years and and we had both uh, beach volleyball and indoor volleyball in australia ben barton instead of going back and forth between the two of you we're just going to go all jeff simons but you have to bet the over under can jeff simons name more than six volleyball players or will it be fewer than six volleyball players? Ever in the history of the world or in the 2000 Olympics? 
<laughs> in the history of volleyball, can he get over six? And this doesn't include like you and your former students. Like these. No, are... no, it has to be an Olympian, or uh, I don't think he knows no, anyone who plays. Jeff, in Italy. look up. You look at your computer. I do not want you. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not cheating. Total. I promise. I That's promise. fine. I'll take the under. You're taking yeah, the, take under. the under. Six Car- volleyball players. Karch Karai. There you is go. A volleyball player. He is indeed. Um, there were those two women that wanted Bush not to okay. smack my ass. Um, <laughs> whose names I can't. And even also. Pull the- up. The guys in Top Gun don't count. I'm not taking <laughs> no. those names. Iceman and uh, yeah, I might I might be done. I don't think I can name any. Arch Karai, that's all you've got. That's all I've got, man. I was pretty psyched. I pulled Karch Karai. I thought it was going to be. <laughs> can you name one? What were the name of those two beach volleyball women that like revolutionized the sport? And um, you had Carrie Walsh. Carrie Walsh and the other one. Uh, Misty May. Miss um, May, that's April it. Ross. I should have gotten those, but I, that's ben, it for me. Ben, how many volleyball players can you name? Can you get beyond Karch Karai? Dude, I was done at Top Gun. Are you kidding me? That was <laughs> my entire knowledge was the dudes in Top Gun. What is Iceman's partner's name? I can't remember now. It's Rick Rossovich. Uh, well, there's Goose and... Goose and uh, Maverick. Right. And Goose Iceman Maverick. and... Joker. No. Oh I'm gosh. pretty sure. I'm going to look this up. Our audience... Our audience is going to be so mad at us if we can't come up with this. Um, no, they're not. They really are. Iceman and Ben, do you have a uh, Rick Ross? No, Rossovich? I'm still trying to figure it out. It's it's complicated who Iceman's <laughs> wingman is. There's a picture of him, but I can't tell who he is. <laughs> Believe me, this is all I care about now. All right. The podcast is just on hold. Someone is yelling into this is their the best part right now. Everyone's, the hu- everyone's hovering on the edge of their seat with their earbuds a tremble, like figure it out, Ben. It's um, it's not, it's not Joker. It's um, oh you, oh it's Jester. Jester. It's Jester. Michael Ironside plays Jester. And by Michael the way, Ironside, no, no. that guy. By the way, I'm taking Joker. That was a win for me. That's a win. It, he counts it, as one of my volleyball players. That is um. That is not Ice's partner. Ice's partner is Slider, played oh, by Rick Rossovich. Oh, wow. golly. All right. <laughs> Let's move on, shall we? Our three songs. Boom. Ben Barton, you're first today. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So when we last checked in with our good friends, Radiohead, <laughs> and come out with the maybe the greatest rock album of all time like up there with sergeant pepper certainly the greatest rock album of the 90s okay computer and then they launched onto an endless tour right the okay computer tour lasts 15 months they play wow. 114 shows Cheap. and this is on top of the ben's tour which is 208 dates and then the pablo honey tour which is another 129 dates basically from the beginning of their career through the end of the okay computer tour they are continuously on tour and my sense from the band i mean obviously if you know anything about them or you've listened to tom york sing or talk he's a weirdo and doesn't like people um my (laughs) sense is that like on the way up the hill they're kind of enjoying it 
Somewhere in the middle of the OK Computer Tour, they, especially York, just really stops enjoying it. He falls into a deep depression. He's having some substance abuse problems. He's just a miserable, miserable person. They finish the tour. He described, this is himself describing it, on the verge of a mental breakdown. They take a little bit of time off, then they try and come back to record. He announces to the band, he does not want to be in a rock band anymore. He has no interest in guitar music. He's finished. Ah. And he tells them, he's like, and if you're out, just quit. Like, that's fine with me. And this is the thing that I love about this story. The band's like, and especially Johnny Greenwood's like, oh, well, well what, what are you interested in? And he is like, oh, I, I bought a piano and I'm into looping and electronica. I'm into the <laughs> Aphex Twins. Like he's into all this really weird 80s and 70s kraut rock stuff and, okay. uh, and tech, tech music. And Johnny Greenwood's like, well, that's good. I, I like that too. What, like, let's get together, man. Just like oh, man. you pitch me and I'll pitch you and we can stay a band. And, and Tom York is, is like desperately trying to destroy this thing. And his friends won't let him. They're, he's like, no, no, like we're on a journey together. Let's just keep doing this. So they go back into the studio. They record for a long time, all the way through 99. And it's a mess. It's a hot mess what they've got going on. Um, they can't come up with different parts. They can't agree on anything. They almost break up several times. Ed O'Brien, the second guitarist, actually posts an online diary of how they're doing. That's a day-to-day, like, tried to re-record Morning Bell, still a piece of shit. <laughs> like, they just are just struggling through it. They finally make it all the way through, and they come up with Kid A. So, OK Computer is a great rock record, Kid A is the future of music. This is like what live music will be in the 2000s. Um, just like OK Computer is the singular record that announces what the 90s are like. Kid A does that for the 2000s. And, and I, I think it continues on to the next decade. Um, and it comes out in 2000. The first cut on it is Everything in Its Right Place. That's the first song that York wrote. York bought the little Rhodes electric piano and it's a super extra mega simple riff and he just recorded it. And then the way they did the lyrics, he had a hat and he just cut out words of poetry from his own writings, put it in the hat and then they just pulled it out for the songs. And that's how the songs are written. Like it's a literal pastiche of his thoughts as he's wow. going through it. Huh. And the crazy thing is, that it actually, like, everything in its right place, I think, is a really obvious song, what it's about. Like, and yet it's not at all what York says it's about. York says that song is about his breakdown. And it makes sense, because that's the first song that he wrote. Um, to me, it's, it really sounds like they're on ecstasy. Like, everything fits together, and then at the end, it all breaks apart in this dissonance, and he wakes up with a, a lemon in his mouth. Like, um, it, like, to me, that's what the song is about, but obviously, like, it's one of these pastiches that like, you can uh, decide for yourself. Radiohead, to me, is on a list with Pearl Jam, Bob Dylan, and um, Bruce Springsteen. It's a live act. I only ever listen to the live versions. I okay. hardly ever listen to the record. This is from the Kid A tour. 
Uh, it's 2001, but it's still, like, Kid A comes out in 2000, so I think it's fair. Okay. Uh, it's everything in its right place, live in Paris. Before Jeff plays it, let me explain. Yeah. So if you look this up, Paris 2001, everything in its right place, you can watch the YouTube video. The YouTube video is amazing and beautiful in the following way. The first thing that happens is you see Tom York sit down and he starts playing the piano. Then they pan back and these two guitarists, especially Johnny Greenwood, who Jeff has chosen as one of the three best guitarists in the world, are sitting on their knees in front of their little computers, like just working on it. And if you were wondering whether I love the internet, I love the internet. There's a site called The King of Gear, and it's a site. The entire site is devoted to how Radiohead make all of those funny noises. That's the About Me King of Gear. Wow. And there's a whole set, a whole, like, it's, I don't know, must be 10,000 words about how they make the sounds live for everything in its right place. And it's got a description of what they did in 2001. Then it's got 2003. Then it's got 2006 at Bonnaroo. Then it's got 2010. Um, basically, the two different guys, so Ed O'Brien, the second guitarist, records the piano and loops the piano over and over again on top of it, creating like these like really like lush soundscapes with the piano and actually full chords that, of course, um, <laughs> Tom York, who's not a very good piano player, really couldn't create even if he was working super hard at it. Um, and then Johnny Greenwood records the vocal and there's like this weird buzzy part to the vocal that comes in and out and in and out and in and out. And then at the end, when they're live, it devolves. Everybody else leaves the stage and just the two dudes are there looping everything. And then Greenwood leaves and then Ed O'Brien leaves. And then it just devolves into this full wash of sound feedback. It's so amazing and spectacular. In particular, listen, the very beginning of the song it's Tom York goes, dun, 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 dun. The bassist comes in and the crowd starts clapping right away, right away. Like it's a full on dance party in Paris. And believe me, I've seen them a bunch of times that every time they play this song, everybody goes nuts. Like the clapping starts, everybody's super into it. And at the end of the YouTube video, when Tom York gets up from the piano, he's just looking out at the crowd and the crowd's going nuts and all the looping's going on behind him. And he cracks like the super rarest Tom York smile. And he's like, oh, oh, this, this might be okay. Look, look at this. Look, look at my life. Yay. And that, that moment for me Yay. just like warms the cockles of my heart. They didn't break up. They didn't quit. They created art that they loved and enjoyed. Jeff, hit us. Everything in its right place by Radiohead. <laughs> Hear the clapping right away.
Should we get some of that devolve at the end to see if people can hear it? Yeah, yeah please. Yeah, totally. I'd love. Because this is, this is where people, like, lose. Killer choice, Ben. I saw Radiohead on the Kid A tour, and uh, it was one of the best shows I've ever seen. Maybe, meh, maybe the best. Some days I think it's the best show I've ever seen. And um, the specificity and the care with which they perform these songs live. I remember, it might not have been the second song, very early in the set that night they played Morning Bell. And there, one of the guitar parts in Morning Bell is just a single chunk with this hand held over the string so it's just the noise and greenwood is just doing it just off beat like and just watching him take that one part so carefully and so so specifically so that it sounded just right i was just so impressed by i mean they're great musicians but they're also they're so committed to the performance of those songs in that exact moment you know, great bands play their shows as if it's the last show they're ever going to play. And I don't know how a band, how they got back to that after getting so burned out in 98. Right. Played they so were many able shows. To really totally recover. Um, yeah, I'm with you, Ben. I love, I love this band. And I don't even really particularly love the music of the last couple records. Like, but I will, I mean, the day every Radiohead record comes out, I will put it on and listen to it 10 times. Like, they've just earned that, that respect even if they drift into places that I don't like as much, but to, you know, 1997 to 2006, this was, this was my favorite band in the world by a lot. This was such a brave choice by them too. Like if you go back to just the Wikipedia kid, a is super hilarious. So before yeah. the record comes out, they're expected to put out another great rock record. And yeah. there's a whole bunch of critical commentary, like, thank God Radiohead's here to save rock music. We heard Tim, what he had <laughs> to play about 1999. Everybody was like pretty <laughs> lukewarm on rock music, including right. Radiohead. So the record comes out and the, 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 like the part of the Wikipedia thing where they have the quotes of the reviews, dude, it was two oh, thirds super negative reviews. They were right. like, you know, a free jazz record for free jazz's sake. Or if I wanted to hear Kraut Rock, I'd put that on. That music sucks. <laughs> like they just bury yeah. them. And uh, like, the, and, but they were so brave. They were just like, you know, this is our artistic statement. We're into it. And the craziest thing is it's, it's really good. It's really yeah, good. and live it was phenomenal. God, those songs were so great. Like national anthem and how oh, this completely. Well, that's the irony those of it. National anthem, phenomenal. Right. National anthem is an all-time rock song. Like that's yeah. just a straight up the shredder. Um, and 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 you know, in rainbows, uh, like has got some straight-ahead rock songs too, and beautiful guitar work too. Like they continue to evolve and keep working yeah. on it. Just I love those guys. And yep. also, I'm just so glad they didn't break up. I'm so glad they didn't break yeah, up. Yeah, man. Totally agree. Because well, if I, they broke up, then OK Computer would be, would be spoken of the way people speak of Nevermind, right? Like the tortured genius, last gas, blah, blah, blah. 
and nobody would pay any attention to Tom York's solo work. But the fact that they were able to stay Radiohead and then push so many boundaries forward. And, and just one more, more final thing. I bought Kid A. I owned it for six, seven years. And then, the, you know, like every CD any of us have ever owned, the, it cracked. Like somehow getting it in and out of a shelf or out of the car. And it was a really sharp edge. So it was like, well, I'm just going to pull this one apart. I pull out the little plastic. There's a whole set of photos and, and lyrics and booklet they, that they hid and didn't tell anybody was in there. Like, if you remember, Kid A has a huh. black plastic cover for the CD, un- unlike the usual clear one with a little hole in it or black with a hole in it. And it was to hide the fact that there was a booklet that they didn't tell anybody about. It was the ultimate Easter egg. And like seven years after I owned this record, I'm like, what the? It was, I just, seven I just years? sat there like, bur- I burst out laughing. I was like, what a great, great little extra trick to play on everybody. So cool. All right. You've talked me into listening to Kid A one more time. Um, but do the live versions. I'm telling you, they're yeah, all yeah, live maybe I will. Just do maybe all I the will. live versions. I'll what was the up. name of that? What was the name of that Paris show that you just said? Dude, I got you. 2001 Canal Plus. Canal Plus. Jeff, let's I'm go. I'm running completely the other direction. Um, completely different kind of song. This is the song, though. There's, I got asked um, just to plug it. Some friends. My friend Rich Price is doing a podcast called The Age Old Question. And he had yeah, me on as a guest rich. for their for their episode called "Is D Minor the Saddest of All Keys," which is a pretty funny <laughs> title. But it was uh, it was about song, sad songs, and um, this song makes me cry more than any song ever written. There's a moment in this song where I tear up. I've listened to it over. I'm sure I've listened to it over 150, 200 times, and it gets me every time. But I got to back up to explain why. So um, I don't know if you remember who Polly Kloss was. But Polly Kloss was a teenage girl in Petaluma who was abducted out of her out of her home during a slumber party. A a lunatic broke into her window, dragged her out from her friends and took her away. There was a a manhunt that lasted four or five months when Nona Ryder offered a reward for her return because she was from the same neighborhood um, and she was tragically, she was murdered and buried in a shallow grave. And they caught the guy that did it, a guy named, I believe his name was Richard Allen Davis. And there was a, there was a, you know, it, there were a lot of people in my world of kids I was teaching who were like two or three degrees of separation from her. Was, and uh, the trial was in Marin County and uh, he was sent uh, to death row. And there was this big fight, like, are we going to put this guy to death or not? And I lived about a mile and a half from San Quentin, where they were holding, where death row is, while they were deciding whether or not this, they were going to kill this guy or not. It was in between the, the, you know, the verdict and the sentencing. And so there were a whole bunch of people out there with signs who opposed the death penalty. And then there were a whole bunch of Polly Colossus friends and supporters who were demanding the death penalty. And they frequently got into bad altercations. And there were some physical confrontations between these two opposing groups. And driving past that and living in that, in the, in the, the kind of just general fervor of that moment, um, I had, I'll admit to having been kind of ambivalent about the death penalty. I was never pro-death penalty, but I was definitely not close to the idea that there are things people can do that are just so heinous that they might forfeit their right to, you know, share the air with everybody else. Right. right. Um, but that, 
that watching that happen and eventually he was put to death and the family witnessed okay. it and it was a it was a, a whole thing it was very i mean it just and i it 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 pushed me very much against the death penalty watching what it did to the people who were very close to the situation is how it broke them and it and it broke them emotionally and it broke them spiritually and and uh it made me somebody who who opposes the death penalty and and uh the best song i've ever heard to to date about the death penalty is this song. It's by Steve Earle and it's from his record, Transcendental Blues. And it's a song called Over Yonder, Jonathan's Song. And it's for an inmate on death row. And the, the singer of the song is on his way to lethal injection. And he's saying goodbye. He's saying goodbye to his friends. He's giving away his last possessions. He's, he's expressing the regret that he has for what he did. Um, and what makes this song work for me is it is not a song that comes out and says the death penalty is really wrong. And how could you possibly do that? Like even the character himself knows he's done something unforgivable. And in fact, his last line is I hope my death can bring them peace, right? That he's even, he himself isn't really anti-death penalty. He's just expressing the, right. the impossibility of what do you do when you know, when your moment is up, like when, what do you do knowing that you're about, you're walking down a hallway about to be killed by the state. And what do you say to that? So that's my song of 2000. It's just uh, when Steve Earle at his best is one of the great songwriters of his generation. And it's, this is just a masterclass in understatement, control of the melody, control of instrumentation. It's the last song on a long record with a lot of different styles on it. Um, and, but it's by far the best song I think on the record and my choice for 2000. Over Yonder by Steve Earle. I wouldn't send me my letter Chaplain's waiting by the door Now we cross that yard together And they can't hurt me anymore Cause I'm going over yonder Where no ghosts follow me Another place beyond here Where I be free I believe Can get my radio to Johnson Tibido can have my fame Just send my Bible home, Mama I don't know why the line Thibodeau can have my fan, what yeah. that does to me, but I mean, I just welled up again. Every time there's something about the minute quality of the detail and the, the right. humble nature of those belongings, like right. that couplet, give my radio to Johnson, Thibodeau can have my fan. In this moment of like, 
where they're waiting for him to walk up to to leave for to be put to death. I, I just and I'm not usually a sucker for the for songs that go after the big statement. Like they they don't age well with me, and sometimes I feel like they're they don't pull it off. And 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 maybe this song will rub other people the wrong way, but this one just hits me left, right, and center every time. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think you hit it with understatement. You know, it's 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 a masterclass in understatement. I'm a huge uh, Steve Earle fan. And um, this is actually late period. Like this is actually at the tail end of it for me. Um, Here's what I really, really like about his best work is this is a guy who was like super extra mega addicted to cocaine and physically went to jail and then came back out and recreated himself. And his songs about regret, I mean, are just like, just tear at your heart. Um, right. And the reason why is because he's a person who has a lot of regrets and yeah, tells you right. about it. Um, so my favorite Steve Earle song is a two minute song called South Nashville blues. That's just about before he got clean where he just goes down onto the strip in Nashville high as hell with a gun trying to kill himself. And then he Jesus. comes back the next night to do it again. Um, just like uh, heartbreaking. And this isn't just another part of that same story. It's beautiful. Yeah. He, when, when, Earl came, when Earl got clean, there are some people who stopped listening to him. There are people who think I actually saw a guy do a whole 40 minute talk about how the worst thing that ever happened to Steve Earl is he cleaned up and he, he did a whole thing on Copperhead road and what a perfect song it uh-huh. is. And that everything else he's done is garbage. And I was, I could not have disagreed more. Like I, I, he finished talking. He was like, thank you very much. And I was at the podium, like in his grill, <laughs> like you have got this all backwards. Like yeah, I feel all right. it's one of the all time great comeback records. And yeah, you're right. But this is the end of the string where, um, they're, the records are uniformly great. Like, um, but I'm so glad we got like um, those three or four in a row that he did from like 96 to 2000 are, are just fantastic. If you, don't, have, you haven't listened to them, my dear listeners, check them out. Steve yeah, and in Earl. particular, the, like, uh, the, the, the prison record recorded right after he gets out of prison, Train to Coming. Oh, oh man. That's a great record. Yeah, sorry for yeah, that one. totally. And then the same thing, the I Feel All Right one. That's got the South Nashville Blues on it. Yeah. Uh, Train of Cummings got a song called, I think it's called Goodbye. That's about being too high to say goodbye to his girlfriend in Mexico. Yeah. That just will oh. just crush your soul oh. every time. Oh, so Ben with the gigantic artistic statement, uh, Jeff with the, the beautiful statement um, by uh, Steve Earle. I, I, I've got... I'm, I'm, there couldn't there couldn't be a worse lead-in uh, for what I've got <laughs> happening right now. Our latest review on iTunes. It's fun to remember the songs, but the best part is the great relationship these three have. They are the MTV generation, and I've always found that people of that age not only love music, but they hate music as well. Ah. It is probably caused by their being forced to watch crap while waiting for the good stuff. Well, I have a bit of that crap coming our way. And I think, Ben, you've been very pleased with my selections over the last uh, few podcasts. It all kind of comes off the rails right now because (laughs) I am going not only pop, but I'm going mid-tempo pop. 
And I am going not with a band reaching its artistic apex, but with a band just trying out their guitars and going from um, being child actors to being in a band. Yes, I am talking about Rilo Kylie. Oh, that's not a bad choice. You're being way too... Well, uh, I'm going really early, Rilo Kylie. I thought for sure you're going to do Mbop by... Yeah, me Hannah. too. Sorry, that was 1997. Um I always told my wife I would only leave her for Jenny Lewis, and she said she would only leave me for Anderson Cooper. Um, but we have stuck together. <laughs> I haven't told her about Anderson anyway. But anyways, we're going with The Frug by Rilo Kiley off their debut EP. If you haven't heard Rilo Kiley, check them out. The Frug by Rilo Kiley. Cal pop music. Do you guys know that song? Jeff no. knows that. I don't know that song. You don't I know, know that? that? No, I know. Jeff doesn't I, know it either. I came up. I came in on portions for foxes, which I think is the next is record. Such a great song. I, that's I like Riley Kiley. I'm only annoyed by this choice because I can think of like ten Riley Kiley songs I like more, but I don't mind them making the. Making the Making list. Brief well, well also, Lewis- you're cheating because you're going to definitely pick a Jenny Lewis song. That's not cheating. We, the rule was two. Two. Oh, and also, wait until you hear the uh, Kanye. Like, there's a lot of permutations of Kanye. Yeah, that's true. You're going to oh, Kanye is just going to show up like 11 years in a row as a guest on like eight other tracks. I'm prepared <laughs> for that. I'm prepared for that. I'll be good for all of us. I actually need that. I don't understand Kanye. I don't get Kanye. So I'm going to need, you're instructing me on Radiohead and you're going to instruct me on Kanye at the same time. You know time. what Kanye can do? Kanye can do the Frug. He can do the RoboCop. <laughs> Just or, ask him. Can he He'll do the Smurf? You. He's doing it right now. <laughs> Gentlemen, good times, good times. By the way, I like that song though. I'd never heard it before and I was like, oh, I kind of like this. That I know. Was, right. I, like, I, was like, I had a little, I had a little pep in my step. No doubt about uh, wait till you see the video. Ah. Oh. All right, gentlemen. Uh, I'll see you. But I'm a, uh, I'm a Haim guy and that's got a little Haim vibe to it. Yeah, I know. I do. We've got to talk about Haim at some point on this. I'm I sorry, really. Corey Haim? No, 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 no. Okay. That new Haim record really grew oh, on me. We, we were in Child Stars. Yeah. Okay. I really like it. All right, music folks. Thank I you, will friends. see you Timmy, later. Timmy, well done. Talk to you. Bye. Bye. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. 
And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Electric acid.